I feel like at a certain point, it's just like snobbery will do you no benefits. If you want to make some, like, I'm not like, I want to be a stadium rock star, but I'm like, I would like to make music that is open to the possibility of being successful. Understanding what makes an audience happy or people all over the world, not just people in Hollywood, definitely interested me of like, what makes something stand the test of time. And I live for moments like this. And welcome to another episode of Vicarious, a podcast that dives into the creative minds of me, Alex Scott, and me, Karen White, and anyone else who will talk to us. And today, that person is Chris Johnson. Chris is a graduate of the Vancouver Art Institute. He's worked in film in multiple capacities on everything from independent 3D shorts to awards shows to Hollywood films. He's reviewed films and concerts in Vancouver for the website Scene in the Dark and was also the host of film podcast Mr. Franchise, which ran for three years from March 2017 to October 2020. Chris is also a songwriter and musician, and after a few stints in local bands like Chica, he's gone solo as Shore Loser. He's got two EPs out and is currently hard at work at his next release. He's also launched an underground venue earlier this year where he and his housemates host multidisciplinary events. He's also my boyfriend. Cute. <laughs> Welcome. Hi, Hello. Chris. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Oh, great to be here in this strange recording environment. <laughs> Never been here before. <laughs> For our listeners, um, we record at my apartment. (laughs) (laughs) It's very familiar. (laughs) So, Chris, we start every episode first by talking about one creative thing we've done during the week. Uh, And we're going to start with Alex today. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So this week, I didn't really do all that much creatively because I had a medical procedure on Friday. And so I had to spend a lot of time at home. So I actually, I feel like I took in a lot more kind of creative media, like through TV and film. And um, after, like the day after my procedure, Chris and I actually went to the Polygon Art Gallery in North Van, and they had a really cool exhibit about... I forget the name of the exhibit. Uh, How They See Us. How They See Us, yeah. And it was all black photographers, mostly Canadian and American, but... I'm sorry, How We See Us. Oh, whoops. How We See Us. (laughs) Yay. But yeah, it it was a really, really lovely exhibit. Yeah, that's kind of, I guess, more of a creative recommendation. But the creative thing I did this week was take in a lot of fun TV. Like I watched the TV show Beef. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I kind of binged that. That was really fun. We watched lots of movies. And then, yeah, I went and saw the art exhibit. Nice. That's that's the best, one of the best things you can do creatively, I think. Yeah. Right. Inspiration. Yeah, 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 exactly. How about you, Karen? What was one creative thing you did this week? My creative thing has to do with teaching. So as I've mentioned, I'm a music teacher. Um, And I think just talking with Carrie in our last episode, just thinking about the creativity of teaching got me thinking about just my own my own teaching style and having to kind of think on your toes when you're teaching private lessons. The challenge that the student's facing, you don't necessarily know which avenue to go down. So with one of my students, she is a really great singer. She's eight or nine. She's really tiny, but she's got like this huge voice. And we're working on her first recital piece. You know, mm-hmm. she's doing her first recital and she's a bit nervous. And I've noticed that she's started to 
kind of retreat a little bit as she's singing. And her voice, which is usually so powerful, is just a little bit softer, a little bit like stifled, you know? So we kind of came up together with a way of bringing it out, which was just getting her to do like hand actions. Oh, nice. And so she's doing the song Roar oh, by yeah. Katy Perry. Mm-hmm. And it's the cutest thing. She's like coming up from the ground and roaring like a lion. But she sang the song the best she's ever sung anything. I, I couldn't believe it. She just got so into it. And it was just really cool and inspiring to to see that in such a little person. Mm-hmm. But also to kind of work with your student to figure out how to how to best serve them. So anyway, that was my kind of creative thing. I think it's an ongoing creative thing that mm-hmm. we all do, all of us music teachers, educators, any any type of educator. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, being uh, able to kind of think on the spot and help your students through their challenges. It's its own kind of creative process. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Nice. Yeah. Chris, what's one creative thing you did this week? Well, on the subject of teaching, at one of our recent house events, my roommate Alana curated it. So it was kind of a mixed media night called Sample, but based around everyone experimenting with different stuff. So we had clowns cracking whips and <laughs> yeah, doing a bunch of skits and a bunch of dancers and yeah, some like people freestyling some electronic music. So I did like a How I Write a Song in a Half Hour sort of thing. So wow. kind of just live wrote a song to an audience and chitted and chatted my way through it. And it's kind of like, okay. We need that this, performance on yeah. the podcast. Yeah, I've got uh, <laughs> I've got a couple minutes of it on video that oh, I was like, I was cool. finally had the stomach to review it now that it's been a <laughs> bit of time since then. So right. yeah, I think it went pretty well. And I was like, kind of feel like it was an accurate representation of how I just like sit down and try and jam until I find something that sounds good, mm-hmm. which I feel like is kind of the philosophy I have when it comes to writing music or movies or anything. Try and keep the same ethos across all creative avenues. Yeah. Mm. And we'll jump into that more. But yeah, I just wanted to say that was very brave. Like I can't mm. imagine... Like, it's one thing to kind of jam with people and to let other creative people who are participating into your process and like incorporating, you know, collaborating with each other. But to present your creative process in front of an audience is, to me, feels so nerve wracking. So I was really impressed that you were able to do that and to be able to like stay in the moment and stay creative and be present with the audience and like letting them into your process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's no easy thing. Yeah. So. When you mentioned it, my like heart actually like, yeah, started beating faster. Scary. Just the idea of it. Did you find that it changed? Like, did your process change at all from what you do uh, by yourself? Observed. Yeah, just being observed. Uh, I feel like it was just like a matter of trying to forget the audience was there. Oh, yeah. I think. Just trying to get to that zone of like free creative thinking where I'm like, I don't know, I feel like so much of my music history is just like jamming with different people. So trying to get used to someone's vibe and read the room as much as possible. (laughs) I'm used to like freestyling lyrics and stuff like that with people. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that was another part of it was you you threw out like a question to the audience of 
can you like name a movie or whatever? Mm-hmm. And you based your lyrics on like the core niche, yeah. <laughs> niche 90s actor. Yeah, the core. And I really locked into DJ Qualls from the movie The New Guy. So. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's impressive. Yeah, that's so, really cool. But I feel like, yeah, that it helps having like the room participate a little bit, but I don't need anyone to be like, this is where you, you should have your capo or something like that like, <laughs> yeah definitely taking it easy but yeah nice yeah yeah creativity kind of in its realest form and especially in front of people yeah. and I, I feel like i would do it again after doing it once it wow so, okay positive a, experience yeah it was mm-hmm. a good stretch so yeah nice. it's very inspiring <laughs> I, I i can't say i will try that myself but um i hope to one day feel confident enough to try it <laughs> yeah. yeah even like i feel like it'll help when like playing new material that i haven't really played in front of an audience it's just no and you can go off book a little bit mm-hmm. yeah yeah being open to kind of more improv improv improvisational improvisational <laughs> thank you <laughs> big words <laughs> The question that we start off every interview is, have you always considered yourself a creative person? I think so, yeah. We used to always make movies with my friends in high school, and we were in, like, classes where we had to do, like, photography, and I was doing, like, improv and acting classes and taking film studies classes. So I feel like me and my friends were always kind of interested in that stuff, even if it wasn't doing it in any formal way. I feel like music, I just didn't really know any other people who were jamming when I was getting into music. But other than that, I feel like I was around a collaborative joking around ready to mess around crew so yeah (laughs) do you think that having that friend group was kind of a a big part of what drew you to creativity like just the environment you were in yeah i feel like that helped and it definitely like feeds into it when it's like we're all having fun doing this and then like showing it to like teachers at our school and they're like this is really good we Mm. want you to come into our film studies class and like getting that validation of making something and showing it to people and getting a good reaction Mm -hmm. and and an honest good reaction (laughs) yeah yeah you don't i mean when you're a kid too you have no concept of like what's good or bad you're just kind of doing and it's cool to have those mentors or those guides to help you realize your potential yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) um so you went to study film and you just mentioned film studies in high school but i know that you were really into movies from when you were a little kid can you go into like what are some of your earliest memories of loving movies and like how did that passion for movies come about i think there was a quote from me when i was like three or four saying like oh i'm gonna make home alone 23 it's like i'll I'll be there when they're making that many yeah i've just always loved movies and especially the more movies i watch and stuff i consume the more i just love movies to have a good understanding of like the movie world and movies that i just heard this term on my way over listening to a movie podcast but movies that have good plumbing which is just like it builds a really good entertaining world and story but is also like engineered really well kind of in the script phase or like behind the scenes so that all this stuff feels easy breezy and seamless but is meticulously tightly fit together to at the end of the day make an entertaining movie is what i strive to do hopefully 
But do you remember yeah, like but, when uh, as a little kid that oh, like grew that, that, that urge? started with yeah, by the time I saw like Home Alone when I was like three <laughs> or four, I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll make movies. So basically as soon as you started watching movies, you're like, I wanna make these. Yeah, exactly. And then was just obsessed with the behind the scenes stuff and the Matrix was like the era where I was like, You can go to a website and find out more info about movies that haven't come out yet. And then I was like, Okay, plug me in. So I've been on on the grind for a while. Did you have parents? or siblings that kind of introduced you to these movies? I used to get babysat by the mother of these twin brothers my brother went to school with. So some of my early like watching stuff my parents probably wouldn't have shown me was like <laughs> hanging out with their 16-year-old brother before I'm in full-time school watching like Terminator and Dirty Dancing. And I was like, okay. And it was like getting a wide breadth of stuff. And yeah, from an early age coming to appreciate different genres and different stuff. But yeah, I feel like my parents really supported me like watching a ton of different stuff mm, as just well. Consume Consuming media, like we were talking about with your creative thing, Alex, right? Mm -hmm. Just consuming can be so helpful to our own creative process, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and kind of being like, ratings be damned will be the judge if this is actually appropriate. Yeah, I feel like there's R-rated movies, like Terminator 2 is a movie for kids and (laughs) should be seen by them, even though it's pretty hard R, but at the same time, I think it's a safe movie. It like... Patty Jenkins, the director of Wonder Woman, described movies as a director. You should be like throwing the audience up and right before they think they're going to hit the ground, you catch them. Just like movies where you feel cradled, where it feels like something could go off the rails, but you're in a safe place. Hmm. That's really interesting. I feel like that can be true of a lot of performances that we watch as well. Well, And I think that's why your improvisational set went over well at the at the house show because everyone feels that tension like that that nervousness when you know that there is this sort of bottom you know (laughs) Um, but I think you held the audience really well and especially just like bringing them into the process sorry to like bring it back to to earlier but 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 I think that yeah that's obviously something that you've internalized (laughs) because I think just the way that you were talking to the audience was that holding us up before we like kind of like oh where's this going (laughs) yeah exactly scary just in time taking Mm -hmm. a breather breather when you need to and being like okay now let's dive back in Mm -hmm. nice And so you started making movies with your friends in high school just for fun? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we got into a film studies class, so our teacher would kind of throw different stuff at us. And yeah, eventually I ended up through that making a movie to train like teachers in Alberta on like how to teach kids how to make movies. So we like took this short story poem thing. It might have been called The Phantom Limb. I'm forgetting the author's name. Me and two girls from our film studies class went to like our teacher's house and shot this ridiculous black and white movie with me like narrating it but it was i don't know making movies especially when there's no stakes is a good example of just going out there with a camera you'll just happen to catch a miracle moment of like i set up the camera in miss anderson's backyard and then (laughs) as soon as i hit record the birds fly off beautifully as a pack and it's like all right we're done here and like and And edit and like editing with my friends even editing music or movies so often you'll just move one little thing make a cut and then it'll be like all right let's play it back and it's like well we couldn't have done that more perfect if we tried so we just got to leave it there yeah but once you get out there the rhythm kind of finds itself do you find that you then leave a lot of things up to chance i mean i imagine you have to like plan stuff out as well but there's that element of just 
kind of going and seeing what happens. Yeah. What does that like preparation look like? Yeah, I I definitely like to be as prepared as possible and be like, if we just get what's on the page or like on a song, if if we just get the song I had played on guitar or acoustic for you before we even started recording, then I think we'll have something good. But for example, we were just doing some editing on the last week and we put in another guitar track to fill out the sound, listen all the way through and it's like, all right, they're matching up perfectly. That's great. The last like four bars, one of them goes off book and does like a little doodly do that neither of us remembered me doing just in one take. And it was like, well, we couldn't have planned that. We weren't thinking of that, but it was there and it sounded perfect. Sometimes you just got to walk away when you accidentally hit it. Yeah. And no, yeah, no, when that is or when that could be like oh, opening yourself up to those moments, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like giving yourself the extra takes and giving yourself options, even though if you're like, I don't know if we'll ever use this, but let's just like, go crazy on one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think too, like knowing when to stop, not being too much of a perfectionist, like kind of being able to like recognize the little magic in the moment and not try to like, okay, let's redo this and like try to mm-hmm. recapture the same thing. But mm-hmm. maybe it's like a little out of time or a little out of frame, but yeah. mm-hmm. then you might like lose that essence. Yeah, exactly. It's like sometimes that imperfect moment that makes it the mm-hmm. kind of perfect moment or the moment that makes it stand out. So um, you did go on to study film. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your film program and like wh- what did you take away from it? I went to the Art Institute for their film film program, so it kind of covered everything from like the technical aspects of doing location audio, audio editing, so that's kind of how I dipped my toes into audio editing that would lead into podcasting later. And then also met George, who's my current drummer. He was in the audio program there. But yeah, also had to do film editing, color correction. They basically are just throwing everything at you over a series. I think it's supposed to be 15 months, and I took one extra semester just to focus on one course for the entire last one. But it was a good mixed bag of like, I don't know that I would have never gotten the jobs I got in film if I never went there, but it was good to be like, this is the stuff I thought I would be into and was right about this stuff I was maybe a little less into and this stuff I'm totally not interested in. So. <laughs> like what? Um, I'm just never been a gear person when it comes to music or movies. For me, it's more of a necessity or like finding that one reliable things so I never have to think about it again as opposed to like I know people are like I need the newest latest best thing to make music and I'm like love doing the research on it yeah exactly and for me I'm way more into writing I was into but always got horrible English marks in high school until basically my one teacher who would be my film studies teacher as well was like I'm taking you from like barely passing normal English in grade 11 to like putting you in IB English because he Mm -hmm. taught it I left with an A in grade 12 so I feel like it was just having someone who would force me to put in the reps, hammer me appropriately if I wasn't pulling everything I could out of an idea or something. So just having those people who would speak honestly about that. So he kind of convinced me to go to film school, talked up my confidence, I think. And then, yeah, I feel like screenwriting in film school was the one thing where it was constantly like the teachers, one of them was like, this is the funniest script I've read. And it was like my roommate Kevin was playing a dude who was trying to hire a stripper for a bachelor party and (laughs) called up someone named Tracy Lauderdale and they showed up and it was a male stripper who (laughs) by the end of the skit convinces him to hire him for the bachelor party. (laughs) So it was pretty ridiculous. But the fact that 
like people in the industry working who are like, oh, this is actually really funny. So I kind of came up doing comedy stuff and still enjoy that, but I've definitely challenged myself to try and get into other genres. But yeah, film school definitely helped me kind of define what I was most into. Yeah. So that teacher obviously had a huge impact on your life, especially considering how much you write now. Yeah. So if you like weren't that into writing and now you're well, in high school yeah. or like didn't really consider yourself or I don't know if you didn't consider yeah. yourself a strong writer, but yeah, I liked yeah. writing, but I was like, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I had gotten some rep for doing like poetry in junior high from the, my teachers, but still didn't translate into like good marks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just having someone pushing you forward and kind of getting you into that mindset of like, okay, you just got to kind of grind it and keep chipping away at it and you'll get better, whether and- it's music or movies. Is that the biggest thing that your teacher taught you is like the dedication or the kind of like working it until it's done or was Uh, there something? Just making me like embrace being like you have a voice and like embrace your Mm. inner voice and it doesn't have to sound like everyone else's stuff no matter what you're doing. Don't be afraid to be different because so many of the bands and stuff that stick out even if it's Joy Division or something like that where it's, it's kind of a band that's like this is my favorite weird band for a lot of people who don't listen to weird music mm-hmm. you don't have to aim for universal appeal to actually accidentally stumble onto that or something so aim niche is <laughs> a lesson i took away a little bit hmm. Hmm, yeah. interesting and so after film school you did work in the film industry for a while yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and why you veered away from it? Yeah, I, I did a bit of production assistant stuff. So I worked on like some CW stuff and an underworld movie. And yeah, that was kind of just terrible hours working with people who clearly didn't like to work on movies. It was kind of similar to film school. One other person who actually liked movies and everyone else is like, I'm in this to make money. <laughs> so that's really weird. Or like, or like, I'm talking to like some people who do like movies on set, and they're like, "Oh, why are we shooting these vampires in the Costco parking lot downtown when we're over this dirty grade on a viaduct where the lights and cables and stuff are actually going?" I'm like, "Yes, that's an easily way cooler, grittier location." But I don't know. I feel like seeing the bloat of sets and stuff like that definitely made me less stoked on working on kind of mid-tier big stuff but also i feel like working on set got me into the realization of well the stuff i want to do like writing and directing it's not like working in a mail room of an office and working your way up right. and getting mm-hmm. promoted it's like not that kind of industry at all where kind of especially nowadays with youtube and stuff like that i'd say the music industry is pretty similar you just have to independently learn how to do something to a certain level and then uh, I saw Mike Flanagan director of Dr. Sleep at the Rio and he was basically like when the light turns on you because you did something good don't just stand there and fart like you have to (laughs) be able to back it up and have the next thing that'll take you to the next step yeah you kind of just need to have the best little idea at one moment that can leapfrog you over like I don't know going insane, working 12-hour nights and trying to get all these freelance jobs where I find I'm much more creative when I'm sane and like (laughs) keeping a kind of decent schedule and then you can kind of like chip away at stuff. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. I think a lot of people think that just being in like proximity of what you want to do is the way to get to what you want to do and that's not always the case, right? For some stuff, it totally is. Certain crew stuff, yeah, work is... 
dolly grip and then you'll come up in the camera department. Mm -hmm. But if what you want to do isn't something that has that direct ladder, you don't have to treat every... career option is the same mm-hmm. yeah i think that narrative was maybe truer in years past yeah. right of climbing whether it's a corporate ladder or you know in a more artistic field and now you're at things like youtube you can really focus on your craft and your art and just put it out there and in some ways it's harder because everyone's doing that and then you know it can be hard to be seen but it's also allows you to really focus on what you want to do yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i'd say like once every six months there'll be like a horror short that makes a big splash online or something lights out was one from maybe five years ago and that guy's gone on to make a full movie of it directed a couple dc movies and you can kind of go from like i was just making movies with my friends but we were trying to make a high quality movie and people are like well you've shown you know how to direct so we're gonna pull you into this it's not like oh you how many thousands of hours have you spent on set that kind of doesn't matter if you prove you can put in the independent study and if you are spending 12 plus hour days on set the drive to do your two hours of writing a day might not really be available to Mm -hmm. you if you're literally Mm. just like you know dead tired or grumpy um, as opposed to having a job in a different field where you still have that creative outlet kind of pour your efforts into Mm -hmm. totally agree do you find that being around those kind of jaded industry people was hard i I know for me like with music and i i love teaching music but just making that a job and kind of taking out i mean this goes against what i just said about creative (laughs) teaching but just kind of taking out some of that creativity or it being easy to fall into the trap of just going through the motions can make it hard to put in the time but it also makes it hard to really get into that headspace right just in general it kind of you need to decompress like away from it Mm -hmm. yeah and i find like having collaborators that you are friends with and when you sit down to work on something you're all having fun together Mm -hmm. still that's so much of the drive when i was making the podcast i was like well i'm enjoying sitting here talking to these people and doing this thing and writing i'm like Even if I'm just coming up with an idea on my own, I'm hoping I'm enjoying it. I was listening to some podcasts where they were like, if you're working so hard and it's that difficult and you're really not enjoying it, then maybe like not everything's for you. And if you're good at something, you should also like feel rewarded as you're doing it or like the process Mm -hmm. should be enjoyable to you as well. I mean, we don't need to get into this too much, but that's kind of an interesting point. If you're good at something, you should be enjoying it. Because I think there are, especially with like artistic talents, it can be hard to know, you know, like (laughs) if you kind of have a knack for something. I I think I said in the first episode, for for me, it was kind of the opposite. Like I thought I was so good because I was so into it. (laughs) And then it wasn't until later that I, after like teaching many kids and also like observing the people around me, I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not like that good. (laughs) But I, I have so much passion passion for it. I'm like willing to put in the hours to make myself good. Whereas there's some people who are like naturally, like for instance, great singers, but because they're great and they're getting all this feedback, they kind of feel like they have to do it or, or mm-hmm. they, you know, they're sort of, they go down this path because it, it seems easy, but the heart isn't there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's kind yeah. of funny to parse out what is quote like innate talent versus passion and like where do those two line up mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, there's, like, uh, yeah there's 
one Elliot Smith quote me and my good friend Carson always come back to that I even like sampled on one of my albums where he's talking about there's some albums that sell millions of copies where it's really unclear if anyone who was making it liked it at all. And, by, <laughs> and I feel like that's true. Like you can really sometimes hear the lack of conviction <laughs> behind yeah. something. And you can be, totally be successful in doing that and make a ton of money. But I find the stuff that I see have longevity and have legs is stuff with a little more depth where like, even if it is something kitschy or cheesy, I've heard someone say like, Billy Idol, they kind of thought he was a joke, then saw him in the booth and was like, he's one of the most in the song people. Mm. He's just giving it his all. So that's what makes him good. And yeah. Yeah. And I guess that that comes down to like authenticity in a sense. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Just believing, (laughs) believing what you're doing, believing in it, like having. And giving like the most like honest performance or, and yeah, if you find something is really doesn't feel good when you're trying to play a type of music or something like that. Yeah. Like I, surf rock was really big when I was reviewing shows in Vancouver, for example. And I'm like, well, I tried writing some of that music because I was listening to so much. My music got so much better when I stopped being tied to that genre, even though I was a huge fan, still have a bunch of bands I could recommend in that realm, but I'm better eating that dish, not in the kitchen mm. cooking it. Oh, that's, that's interesting. It's interesting, like, liking something doesn't necessarily mean that it's right for you. Like, yeah. how do you parse that out? How did you know? Uh, this is not for me. Just like uh, trying it out and playing, writing some songs. I'm like, okay, this one's stuck out of like the 10 or so I wrote. And I'm like, okay. And kind of just like realizing I'm almost more interested in like taking some tricks from that genre than just adopting it whole cloth. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I feel like that made me a stronger musician being like, oh, I can actually incorporate my love of classical music or Brazilian jazz into 90s rock. And that makes it so much better than just being a band where I'm like, well, I only listen to 90s rock bands and try and make 90s rock because (laughs) then everyone else who's trying to do what I'm doing is stealing from the same short list of bands. So Mm -hmm. yeah, art, you're always taken from something a little bit. So I feel like the wider breadth of stuff you give yourself to take from, the richer it'll be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. That's something I tell my students. Like the more you pick up, you you don't have to use it in the context that we're learning it. But the more tools you have in your toolkit, the more possibilities there are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like luckily we're in an era where we can just Google your favorite band. What are their favorite albums? And mm-hmm. find like five interviews of them shopping in Amoeba or like <laughs> them going through the Criterion Closet. And you can just hear them be like, oh, I like this and be like, oh, you like this weird Edmonton experimental prog rock band called <laughs> Troika that like I would have never heard of. Thank you for that, dude from Pavement. That's yeah. so specific. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but it like, sounds like a real situation. Yeah, that absolutely is. But I'm like, Chris it's, is from Edmonton, yeah. so that's also a fun little tie-in. Mm-hmm. Got an Edmonton wreck from your favorite non-Edmonton-based band. Yeah. Also band yeah exactly mm-hmm. all time fave but mm-hmm. yeah and you can kind of see that well just because someone directs this type of movie doesn't mean that's all they watch or mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of appreciating that good art is good art yeah yeah, yeah. and also that is like literally how you find your voice because nobody is going to have the exact same influences and the exact same references as you so you're filtering it through your own experience and that is how we find unique sounds and unique perspective mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Rather than just being like kind of tunnel vision, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you said, like if you were, if you were making, I mean, you do make nineties rock. <laughs> I mean, it's not just that, but if you were just listening to only nineties rock, oh, exclusively pavement, yeah. you're just trying to recreate your <laughs> favorite band or like your favorite two, three bands. Yeah. What are you adding to the conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, and like reviewing shows, I would kind of see that pattern form over the different music season where it's like, okay, Best Coast is big this year. So by six months from then, every touring opening band is like, all right, we've got a cute girl and some like surf rocky <laughs> hooks and we're going for it. And I'm like, okay, I saw like two or three kind of knockoffs that were pretty good. But at the end of the day, Best Coast is going to be the one people remember because mm-hmm. she brought the most originality to it and was the progenitor of it and you guys are just trying to feed off that heat but you should follow that feeling of like i love this music and internalize that and like try and make it your own I feel like there's a lot of people who are like i like this i have to be an exact mirror of this thing yeah, I like. like what you were saying about authenticity right we can we can sense yeah. that mm-hmm. in art if you are feeling it authentically we can feel that and if you're trying to mimic or like copy someone else we can we can feel that too right yeah 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 because it's just yeah it's there's like just a level of depth that's missing Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and like understanding right perspective Mm -hmm. and you've mentioned your podcasts and reviewing so i do want to hear about your experience with both and I believe you were writing music and film reviews for Scene uh, in the Dark? Uh, just music reviews for oh, them gotcha. and just film reviews for the pod. Yeah. Okay, mm. gotcha. Yeah. So let's touch on the music reviews first because I think that was before you started the podcast. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, that was pre-2014. So oh, I think, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So young I'm buck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> young buck. Yeah. Young buck. You just <laughs> finished film school, more or less? Yeah. So I was like seeing a lot of shows and buying a lot of records and just kind of through knowing people who bought a lot of music and talked to them about music quite a bit. Yeah. And just like jamming with my friend George, who kind of <laughs> dipped in and out of my life for a minute there. But yeah, just having those people around. I got into the know of the owner of this website who was kind of like, basically, I'll shoot you a list of every concert in town this month. You put yes besides the ones you want to go to. And nine times out of town, I would get every show I asked for. So mm. I just started seeing shows for free and taking notes as the show's going on, taking photos and got me into like watching very closely and being like, okay, this is a type of band that impresses me after seeing so many different types of music. So mm-hmm. is there any kind of through line between writing that you did in school like screenwriting and writing reviews or just like having watched so many movies to how you like watch and dissect concerts is there any interplay there is your experience with them kind of like they live in their own little world or is there intersection i definitely find it all to be like the using the same tools but i kind of think of like reviewing movies and music in kind of the same realm and there's kind of a middle zone of that (laughs) venn diagram (laughs) and then like the more creative stuff i definitely see so many similarities between like song and film writing songwriting is like writing short films almost but yeah i feel like like definitely being interested in writing it was just like having an excuse to be like I'm going to like see a band and try and creatively describe how the show was what I liked about it try and take some nice photos and yeah and giving myself the excuse to be like 
this is my music education of just three nights a week going to like probably one or two bands I bought tickets for and reviewing one or two shows every week and just consuming a ton of and getting to see like the local openers 14 times I probably saw Dead Coasts in the year's time and being like okay I'm gaining an appreciation of seeing you guys consistently rock it and then seeing other bands where I'm like I would have never played for this electronic band but you captivated this crowd Mm. yeah definitely was a good experience for me so you got that gig just kind of through networking through connections and then also just being like a big music fan and and you're confident in your writing so you're like i'm going to these shows already might as well i don't think there was ever any formal interview process it was just like this guy i never have even met (laughs) Michael and I wrote easily over a dozen articles for his website and took a bunch of photos but I was just like oh you like this go do it (laughs) great that writing's good he never even asked me to take photos I just started and he was like that's good I'll include that with the article and it was like great so it's like a good freeing experience of just being like the, no guidelines, just go out there and do it. So, mm-hmm. And yeah. I guess you kind of learned as you go. Did you find that you already had this like critical lens when you were consuming content or was that something you developed through this yeah. process? I, I feel like film studies well, definitely yeah, yeah, like right. got me in that mindset of like, all right, let's go hunting for symbolism and right. <laughs> steal it out and stuff like that. I guess that would transfer to music yeah. pretty easily. Yeah, I've just always listened to a lot of music and watched a lot of movies and talking about it has always been a pleasure for me. So I'm like kind of just having that excuse to be like, let's crush all this band's albums this week and see them live and go down the rabbit hole and be like, oh, okay, this is a band that'll be with me forever or this is a band I won't remember next Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of reviewing movies, you started your podcast, Mr. Franchise, in 2017. Can you talk a little bit about how you developed the idea and what were some highlights of, of running a podcast for three years? Definitely the guests. They were, <laughs> they were great. And just, yeah, so much of it was getting to sit down with people for an hour or two every week who I'm like, this might be the longest conversation we've ever had. Um, but yeah, the reason I started was kind of giving myself an excuse to like study movies again and just be like, okay, every week I'm going to whether it be Fast and the Furious or like Terminator or a classy movie. Oh, and actually, can yeah. you give the audience or our listeners um, a rundown of what your of the premise of your podcast and kind of how it works? Um, yeah, we would basically review and run through the plot of any franchise movie. It was fair game, so kind of any remakes, reboots, sequels, and all that jazz, <laughs> as, as I would say. But yeah, so kind of just started it out of like me and my friends were going to start a podcast network and we were all going to do different shows and start up together. I was six months into recording like every week and just had a crazy backlog. No one else has recorded a single podcast. So I was like, I'm just starting my podcast because I've already started my podcast. So yeah, started it because we were all going to do it, but it was like, clearly I was taking to it. So yeah. And it was just like a good excuse to pick people's brains about movies and having those great conversations on and off Mike, I feel like half the time we're starting to talk about the movie before we record and we're like, we got to shut up and just get in there and save it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably veering way off question. You're still on track. Yeah. So kind of why I started it. Yeah. Just having that excuse to like really pick apart 
movies in an effort to like, okay, I'm getting ready to write my own stuff again and just getting the nuts and bolts breaking down of like, okay, this is how all these great, actually successful movies that people have seen and still talk about decades later. I'm like, as much as I would love to study movies that no one's seen or likes, I'm like, there's, like, there's a lot of people who like, I was listening to a podcast where a guest was like, okay, you didn't like this modern horror movie, but what's a modern horror movie you like? And he's like, oh, well, this movie from 1982 and this like Australian 70s movies no one's seen. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like at a certain point, it's just like snobbery will do you no benefits. It's like, <laughs> if you want to make some, like, I'm not like, I want to be a stadium rock star, but I'm like, I would like to make music that is open to the possibility of being successful in people like me. <laughs> so understanding what makes an audience happy or why something connects with people all over the world, not just people in Hollywood, mm-hmm. definitely interested me of like what makes something stand the test of time. I noticed your first favorite film you mentioned was Home Alone, which is a franchise. Like, yeah. is that why franchises are so big for you? Are they so big for you? Yeah. I-, I Yeah, I love a franchise. And just like, it's such a good studying inflection point for me because there's so many different aspects. There's franchises where it's like, maybe they should have just stopped after the first <laughs> one and the second one stops it dead in the tracks. Or mm-hmm. like, there's cases where a series goes on so long that it becomes its own subgenre. Like James Bond movies kind of follow the spy genre rules, but it goes on so long that now the James Bond movies have to follow the James Bond rules. So it's like, well, you couldn't make it without this crazy opening credits song. Yeah, and kind of just seeing that lineage of the longer something goes and people iterate on it, it'll tell you something about the culture of when that thing was made, whether it be like, this is the Sherlock Holmes movie that happened in this era, or this is the Dracula movie that happened. Bond is such an easy one to just be like, it's the 70s, Roger Moore, so black exploitation's in, so there's this voodoo Bond. <laughs> <laughs> there's like Star Wars is popular, so there's a space bond. So you can really see the cultural reaction. Yeah, kind of just all sorts of different stuff that interests me about franchises and studying movies that whether I loved it or not, most of them are movies that people are like, I saw that as a kid or saw that whole series, watched it with my family. And it's like, why did your parents want to share this with you? Or yeah. mm, Getting mm. into people's like connection and their backstory with the film. And yeah. when your guests choose... Or would you choose? Uh, I would often let the guests choose, but a lot of the time they'd be like, I have no idea. And I'd be like, here's a list or like, let's talk actors. And then usually pretty quickly we'll agree on something where someone's like, oh, I'm excited about Keanu Reeves. Let's do that. or like. <laughs> and since you were running it for so long too, I'm sure you... You know, you had to make sure there was, wasn't going to be like an overlap. Like if someone was really like, I want to do Charlie's Angels, but like you already have that episode. Yeah. So you have to do a bit of collaboration. Yeah. Luckily, there's a lot of franchises. So yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. feel like I was running out of steam. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a good passion project, but COVID kind of killed having guests over in my house. And a lot of it was trying to have not really podcaster people on it, just low barrier of entry. So kind of made it tough with the type of people I was having on the show to continue doing it the way we had been. Because you'd just been doing it at your place and you were able to like set up the mic and everything and then having to move to like all Zoom recording or remote recording with people who haven't necessarily done it before. Yeah, Yeah, poses quite quite a challenge yeah but it definitely felt like a good step off point and i dialed in more on working on film writing at that point so it was good 
How has your writing changed post three years of podcasting? I know like you've always been like an avid movie watcher. I know your aim is to watch a film a day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Whether it be an episode of something or I try and hit that. But right. um, sorry, let me just yeah, I kind of yeah, veered off for a second. Yeah. So in a sense, your podcast was another like film education, just like music reviews were your music education, taking in so much media and thinking about it in a critical lens, like kind of condensing it for yourself, condensing it for an audience. Um, what were some of like the big takeaways or were there big takeaways that you can come up with that you can think of that influence your writing now kind of post podcast? Um, I feel like just getting to the point of like analyzing the plumbing once again of breaking down a story into its story beats and being like, okay, how many beats actually go into Die Hard or Speed or something like that, these bigger movies. And I'm like, when you're breaking it down onto one notepad every week on your phone, you don't have to have that many events. And then you sort of start to see how people stack things together to build up in the story and build down tension. And yeah, I feel like it was really good having to analyze different stories and talking about it with people who are pointing out things I would have never seen or people who it's like, you love that sequel more than that? Now we need to like... I need to know why. Yeah, sometimes being the outlier with the crazy opinion or sometimes being the person who's trying to lawyer style talk people up in their ratings. But yeah. I can definitely feel that when we're watching a movie. <laughs> trying to lawyer up and litigating. <laughs> kind of show me what I may be missing when I'm a little bit um, mm -hmm. closed-minded or... Mm -hmm. Resistant to predator. Resistant. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you enjoyed that one enough. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you've come a long yeah. way with your mm -hmm. interests. You've mm -hmm. become more, more a broad, a broader movie. Because mm -hmm. you weren't super no. into movies. In fact, famously, I often did not finish <laughs> movies, which was when yes. we first started dating. There was like quite a few movies where we had to either one, stop it. That didn't happen a ton. But yeah, I think twice we've Twice we've like stopped fully movies. stopped. And then where I couldn't do it in one sitting, like I needed a break, <laughs> which I think is why I never liked watching movies alone. I don't know. I guess maybe it's an attention thing more than anything. But yeah, I just have, I have trouble like staying focused. <laughs> right. I am getting a lot better at it now. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, watching them with the person who gives themselves completely to yeah. every <laughs> movie. So. That's very was, true. Was that yeah. an interesting dynamic for you, Chris? dating someone who like, had a very different perspective on movies. I feel like Alex, I've like tried to ease her into the movies I like, so getting her into horror and... Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. And you, you asked to watch Mad Max Fury Road recently, so <laughs> I was like... That's true, I was interested. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the word that came to mind for that one was unrelenting, mm. and that led to a discussion of what's the difference between unrelenting and relentless? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I describe it. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think we landed on relentless as more of a person yeah. than, mm -hmm. than a plot. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we've talked a lot about what you've done and your artistic interests. But I think kind of a through line throughout this has been your ability to be like a self-starter to be self-motivated, whether that was just deciding to get into reviewing music or, you know, starting your own podcast when your friends weren't um, <laughs> like really, behind, you know, when it was like started as a group idea and then you were the only one to follow through. And then even just writing your own scripts, like where do you think that drive and motivation came from? 
I think it was just like more of a frustration of, well, I need to generate my own material because no one around me is challenging me to the level that I want. There's no, I don't know anyone who's like making movies that are like the kind of movies I want to be making or same with music. I played in a lot of bands with great people who I love, but I don't feel like I've seen a lot of people who were like once a song pushing themselves to the limit in one regard, whether it be like this song, I'm going to the end of my guitar playing skills or vocal skills. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people who are comfortable going through the motions. And I was like, if I want to be challenged to the level I want to, like, I want to play music that'll make me a better player of music as I'm playing it. So, like, kind of just the um, desire for that challenge made me do it myself more often than not. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I would have been happy to just be like the spiral stairs of pavement, just showing up and doing lead guitar parts and hang out. But I'm like, well, no one's writing songs that would give me the avenue to do these interesting guitar parts. So I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I guess I need to write the good rhythm part <laughs> to start with. And I was like, well, I guess I'm my own band. So, yeah. Is that And that's kind of how Shore Loser started, like because you were playing in bands and then you were feeling this, I guess, like a void that needed to be filled in terms of like, these are the... I would rather be playing these types of songs or I want to get this experience out of playing music. Is that kind of how it started? Yeah, I've kind of written music since I started playing music and Mm -hmm. kind of just kept at it. But definitely um, playing with other bands was like a good experience for like learning other people's styles and getting to play with other people is always educational. But yeah, definitely endeared me to the idea of like, okay, I know... I'm more into the music I'm writing in my own voice. So now I can like focus on that now that I feel like my songwriting is catching up to like the music I listen to. Mm, but, yeah, that's like, always a process. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long process. A long yeah. process. And I guess kind of never ending. Meeting or approaching that meeting point of your songs or one of the songs hitting your particular musical taste and then it kind of veering off. I've like hit that point so many times where my music that I'm writing is not the music that I would listen to and that's a really challenging place to be as like a creative person yeah mm-hmm. yeah trying to keep finding that north star and keep finding that point where it's like okay i'm writing something that's fulfilling and that i want to stand behind so kind of building those scenarios where you're getting to put in that practice and make mistakes and doing a podcast was great for just putting out material every week and warts and all just being like, well, this is the show that's done this week. And for the most part, I'm really happy with them. One or two episodes, I'm like, that one sucks. But I'm like, <laughs> it kind of made me a little less precious about it in a way. Putting out my EP at the end of COVID, I was kind of like, I just need to get some of these songs off my chest at a certain mm. point where it was like, now I'm free to think of other material, even though I might like to circle back and record a slightly higher quality version something it's like sometimes you just gotta like free yourself of some material Mm -hmm. and finish the script and tuck it away in a drawer and come back to it if it's not (laughs) or like a song or whatever if it's not quite hidden for you yeah i feel like music and jamming really made me appreciate being able to like okay coming back to this i can throw out this verse and realize that the chorus is a good part and keep that Mm -hmm. that's interesting you said throw it in a drawer uh in our last interview with carrie i think he said the exact same thing i think that's something that a lot of creatives do or should do is yeah just come back to things and trust the process right and you know have have different things kind of to work on 
But I'm interested to know how you how you, how you know or how you've come to know what your personal style and taste is. Obviously, you review you've done a lot of review in music and movies, so that's a big part of it is looking outward at others. Are there any like practices that you do looking inward to to kind of figure out your own personal tastes and and viewpoint? Um, I think like having trusted collaborators or like people whose taste you trust really helps as well to just be like, I had an old drummer named Max who used to live with me. And that was like probably the person I like jammed one on one with incessantly. It was just like we would play the same song for multiple hours sometimes to the point where it's like, okay, I could play that song in my sleep, but now it's ruined for me. But like (laughs) kind of getting to that point where it's like, well, why is this a jam we both want to come back to playing it to infinity and being like, okay, this is the part I actually still enjoy. And then by playing or like working on on an idea till you break it, you can kind of find the feel for like, this feels good to me or this feels right to me. Mm, It's like a gut kind of instinctual thing. And then like having that in yourself and then also being able to be like, well, I think I like this. I need to have some sounding board, whether it be like playing shows in a home venue to like my friends and a bunch of randos and being like, let's see if people actually respond to this new song or running script ideas by a writer buddy to be like, does this sound like an interesting movie? Having those people you trust to be like thumbs up or thumbs down. Mm-hmm. Even, it doesn't have to be like, this is shit, throw it all out by being <laughs> constructive critics. Mm. Is- and I'm, I'm guessing you reviewing so many things has helped you to review things for yourself as well, right? It can be hard yeah. to... Like, I think we're, we're super critical and it's hard to, of ourselves and it's hard to look at things objectively a lot of the time. So having people that you trust to give you honest feedback, but also I'm sure you've developed some skills in just parsing out what is objectively maybe something you want to work on and what is perhaps just a, a more personal thing. Yeah, education is huge in just listening to creators and stuff that you like because we have so much availability to that sort of stuff now. Yeah, finding those creators you like who it's like, I even speak the same creative language as you and listening to you is giving me terms where I had that idea, but now I can like define it and speak that aloud to other people. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really powerful. So I, f- I find like teaching people doing that songwriting class or like teaching my friend how to do screenwriting is making me better at it because I'm having to, I know what I think this structure story beat should be, but having to figure out how do I explain this Mm -hmm. makes me have a better understanding of it. Yeah. Talking stuff aloud is super helpful. Mm -hmm. We want to do that with this podcast. I think for myself personally, just having a better understanding of creativity and all the different facets of it just by, yeah, talking and speaking these things aloud and actually formulating coherent (laughs) thoughts and opinions about it can be so helpful. Yeah. And then the more stuff you consume, the more similarities you see across media. And one of my favorite concepts, um, I think I heard it on Mike Myers was on Mark Maron's podcast. (laughs) And he was like, when I made Wayne's World, I wanted to make something that was an immaculate universe. And I was like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) But then he like went on to explain something like Tim Burton's Batman or Wayne's World or there's even music, I would say, like pavement kind of falls into this realm of it's something that can kind of 
exist out of time or space, but it creates a full universe that you feel. Mad is, Max, really yeah, rough. Yeah, like I would say Mad Max does a great job of creating a really lived-in, full-feeling world, mm-hmm. but we don't necessarily have to tell you every little thing. It's just showing and not telling and just doing the research and at a certain point being like, well, we don't need to have every little fact or every trick you know in music doesn't have to be in every song, but knowing when to deploy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of hearing interesting terms like like that from Mike Myers is just like, oh, this is something I've always been attached to media that does this. But now that I know this term, I'm like, now I can define what it is about all these that is the same to me. And Mm -hmm. like kind of having an implicit idea of what that is, but not having the term for it means that it's so much more nebulous, like what you're looking for. But when you have that exact turn of phrase or or, or terminology, terminology, yeah. yeah, you it helps you to narrow in on like is is this that yes. <laughs> rather than just kind of like floating around in the is dark this? trying to yeah. like what? pull it together. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's like yeah, terms can be helpful in genre and having stuff to fall back on of just being like, okay, I know the genre, so if I'm lost in a script, I have to just be like, what type of movie am I writing? What am I trying to achieve? And just being like, okay, I'm a horror movie. I can just be spooky. (laughs) Like That was like my hugest moment of writer's block was just having two characters where I'm like, neither of these people can back down from their ideals, but if, if this keeps going, one character becomes wholly unredeemable and i was like oh something spooky needs to happen mm-hmm. and that fully makes these people become the characters that they need to be for the audience still like them but knowing that i'm in that genre allowed me to have that revelation and i feel like similar can be said for music i'm really solo resistant but sometimes i'm like well there just has to be a solo <laughs> damn it <I'm> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. So nice you yeah. just have to have that solo mm-hmm. yeah well and that just speaks to like the breadth of knowledge that you've accumulated to to have that that point of experience to be like oh this is what it needs <laughs> you only really are able to make those decisions if you've taken in enough of said media you know music movies to mm-hmm. to be able to take that bird's eye view instead of just being kind of like stuck in the mud of the process and just like oh no simplifying it essentially of just like just like you said with movies how many actual beats are there in this movie if i'm writing my own movie i don't need to have 25 (laughs) different things that i'm trying to accomplish like you narrow that down or just like you said with the song being able to listen back and be like okay no we need a solo here like no, objectively, this part is good and this part we should redo it. Yeah, or yeah. like maybe this doesn't need to happen twice even though it's right. the best sounding part yeah. of the song. Like, yeah, like knowing what's effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like that's when I'm really drawn to the band Pavement. It's like they are a very disciplined band for being like, that part's incredible, That's so it's only happening once and it's <laughs> in the last like 10 seconds, so if you want to hear it again, you're going back. And, like, <laughs> and that's... a part of what keeps me going back so i'm like oh you withheld and it makes it a more rich experience for it mm-hmm. yeah. and that's interesting too because that's sort of against like the pop ethos mm-hmm. of having the hook be the most repeated thing in the song or like the chorus being the best part of the song the part that you want to hear over and over again so taking the kind of like quote best part of the song but only doling it out once <laughs> is sort of against popular music formation 
Yeah, but I definitely, I find that leads to more rewatchable movies just as mm-hmm. much as music where my greatest action scenes I've seen in movies are like, this is our one action scene, so we're going all out. But other than that, we're keeping it quite reserved or building tension. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, you're right. Yeah. It needs to be smartly deployed yeah. for effect. That's the problem I have with a lot of like sitcoms and yes. those kind of just series i wonder like maybe with franchises you've noticed this as well but you know people find out what worked with the first season of a show the first movie of a franchise and then they amplify all those things to the nth degree and then it's just too much there's no um impact anymore right because that's all it is it kind of becomes like mimicry or just like Mm -hmm. self-references and you're just Mm -hmm. like this is losing the essence of what made this good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And sometimes making something bigger totally works. But I feel like, as you were saying that, all I was thinking about was Fast and the Furious because I'm like, <laughs> that's like a perfect arc of they got bigger and more ridiculous to a point where this is the perfect level of big ridiculousness. Mm. Then they continued going over that. And it's like, well, now there's people sitting in like a Pinto in space. And it's like, what are we, what are we doing here? We've lost the stakes at this point. Yeah, sometimes it, you can by continuing to iterate on something, you can get better, whether it's like someone's second or third album or second or third movie. It doesn't have to be like, you don't have to keep it at the exact same level, but mm-hmm. you don't have to be like, I'm doubling the budget of my thing mm-hmm. every time I'm doing something. Right. It's, yeah. it's, probably, it's hard, I'm sure, to find that sweet spot of of like feeling like you're doing something that's pushing you harder but not biting off more than you can chew Mm -hmm. and i know that's a topic in and of itself that we will dive into at a later date kind of another ethos you have about creativity and making music but i think that we will save that for Mm -hmm. for a round two Mm -hmm. and we're gonna close out our app with our creative recommendations so Chris, have you got a creative recommendation that you can share with us? I'm going to give you one album, one movie. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Two yeah. for one. Yes. Yeah. Bogo. Great. Yeah. The, <laughs> I'll give you my favorite album, Wowie Zowie by Pavement. Definitely mm. like an album where the first time I listened to it, I got to one song and I was like, this is incredible. But what the fuck was that chorus? It was like, <laughs> and then I, to the point where I had to immediately play it again. And I was like, I got to hear it again. And I was just like, <laughs> what is going on? So it was really a fascinating music experience that they continue to blow me away to this day. And yeah, happy they're back playing music again. So Wowie Zowie, I would say, is the album where they were like, okay, we tried to make our big successful album. Now let's throw out our best material from all the stuff they wrote while they were touring on their bigger album before that. And just made for some really weird songs, interesting musical experience that kind of goes all over the genre map, I would say. Mm, Um, And the movie I recommend would be Blow out my favorite movie directed by brian de palma also written by him starring john travolta and brian de palma's wife at the time nancy allen it's also from robocop (laughs) (laughs) hit actress and we just watched out of sight that she's in as well george clooney flick but yes uh really (laughs) big fan of it it's like 
my favorite direction of a movie of all time. And it just is a movie that clearly everything in the movie builds to one crescendo. And it is like, it's a blowout, (laughs) aptly named. So (laughs) interesting plot, interesting characters, enjoyable, beautifully shot, and incredible music. What year is that one from? That one is 82, I want to say. it's. I think it was like him coming off Carrie, so he was able to get... Mm all the bells and whistles and like a great cast and shot in his hometown so it feels like the locations are spot on and i've seen it on the big screen once and the eye for detail and the colors it's all red white and blue and it's incredible and it makes me cry every time so oh nice <laughs> yeah so nice big up to that one what do you guys Thank got you. to recommend me <laughs> do you have any creative recommendation um i have a recommendation i'm taking a page out of Kriya and Carrie's mm. book and mm-hmm. giving a little tip because I went out for a run the other day, which I don't normally do. <laughs> and I really realized that the change of scenery was so helpful to me. And my creative recommendation is just change of scenery. Mix it up a bit. If you go to work the same way every day, just take a different route. Something really simple. I came across this really cool house uh, in my neighborhood that I'd never seen before. And I started writing a song about it. So it was, oh, that's cool. yeah, it was really, really neat to just kind of do something that was a little outside of the norm for me and kind of produced something, something cool and, and different. So that is my recommendation. So, I actually do have a creative recommendation as well. So I would recommend, I mean, I finished this a while ago, but I would recommend the show Hacks because it's about a comedian and a uh, and a comedy writer and they address a lot of the writing process I mean they don't explicitly address it but you're watching a young writer trying to work with this established kind of workhorse comedian and so it is kind of fun to just watch a show about the entertainment industry I guess and yeah and it also is just really funny so that would be my creative recommendation for just a little light watch funny show but that also addresses creativity and writing and collaboration Nice. And conflict. <laughs> yeah, creative <laughs> conflict. Big time. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, we're leaving everyone with lots of media to consume, mm-hmm. lots of recommendations. Exactly. Right. Well, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank yeah, you for thank having you, me. Chris. Yeah. Hopefully I wasn't monologuing too hard. But no. Also, oh, my yeah. gosh. No. Yeah. It was great getting into your experience with music and movies, seeing yeah. how they're a bit different, how they converge. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Heck yeah. Until next time. All right. This has been Vicarious. I've been Alex. I've been Karen. And I've been Chris. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.